Hello. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about the Kraken and their initial playoff first two games because we're recording this on Thursday. Surprise. Yeah, um, so we've got something good to talk about and something less good to talk about. <laughs> Much like our Kraken discussion all year. Yeah, as usual. Uh, we also are going to talk about the Mariners and their kind of two, three weeks into the season. How are we feeling about them? And then a little bit on the NBA playoffs and uh, specifically the Zags in the, in the NBA and uh, what they've been up to in the playoffs. Yeah, we were also going to talk about UW players and their accomplishments in the NBA playoffs, but it turns out there aren't any. There's one. Jalen Noel had two points <laughs> in the Minnesota Timberwolves-Denver Nuggets game game two. Uh, with that, hey, welcome to Sound Up Seattle. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, with my co-host, John Carey. <laughs> John, are you ready to talk about the Kraken and their first playoff win ever in the Let's Stanley Cup Stanley Cup playoffs? Go Kraken, undefeated in the Stanley Cup playoff. <laughs> Never lost. <laughs> Until tonight. But we don't have to focus on that. Let's start with a positive. Uh, that's so awesome. 2-7 matchup against the defending champions in Colorado, Mile High Stadium, the ice is thicker up there, I hear. Um, and the Kraken played great. They really... Uh, we, so we watched this at our at our local eatery. Um, <laughs> they serve food and nothing else. Um, and it was... We were... So John and I were pleasantly surprised and constantly talking about the physicality of the Kraken and kind of just like their approach to that game. Do you, do you want to elaborate a little bit on what we were seeing? Yeah, I think you hit exactly half of the nails on the head, so... <laughs> Bad average for you, I guess. But All right, guy. <laughs> physicality, absolutely. And the other thing was the speed. I thought I thought the team was flying around and meeting with contact when they were. Um, we, you know, we both saw the same thing. Um, they played really well. You know, nothing about their offensive or even defensive game other than the goalie, which we'll get to. Nothing about it looked super polished other than their speed and their effort and their physicality. I was yeah, the main thing I was going to say was the effort. It's just like yeah. it looked like they were the that was their first game ever in the playoffs and yeah. they were putting the work in. And the Avalanche looked a little lackluster in that first game. Obviously today the Avalanche came back. We were up the Kraken were up 2-0 um after the first period and you know kind of kind of sank the ship after that uh yeah, the, I, that, I think they were just playing too conservatively. But yeah. anyway, Series update, 1-1. The Kraken took one out of two games in Denver. Series returns to Seattle. Love that. We've taken home court. Yeah. home ice. As home they, rink. As, as they say. <laughs> home field? No, that's not right either. Um, but so a successful trip to Denver. Disappointing to not take both games considering we were up 2-0 in game two. But... If you would have told us going in that this was yeah. a possibility, we would have jumped on it against the two seed. Against the defending champs, yeah. At altitude? <laughs> <laughs> like, that's a joke, but it's also not a joke. Like, hockey is a game of sprints. Sprinting, sprinting at altitude is <laughs> considerably harder. Yeah, it's much harder. Yeah, no, so we come into this series starting at home. Basically, it's a it's a five-game series now. It's one-to-one. -one. You need to win three of the next five, and you have three of the next five at home. In Seattle, that's right. Um, 
And as you said, game one, big indicators, effort, physicality, speed. Game two, it's exactly how we started. Um, Might have been a little tired. Sure, sure. Uh, you know, once again, a couple of novice homo here. Um, we're, we're still figuring out the hockey game, but that was the first time in game two of this series that I've ever seen a power play goal by the defending team. Yeah, so, so for those of you who don't understand what we're saying, the uh, the Kraken were defending a power play. They were down a player, Yes, and they scored a goal. That's how they got up 2-0. They're up 1-0, defending the power play, and they scored. First time I've ever seen that happen in hockey, and pretty exhilarating. One less guy on the ice. How the heck, how the heck are they able to press up like that? And it was an awesome goal, really fun, um, and obviously things went downhill from there. Whether or not that Colorado comeback was a factor of, you know, bad luck, of, of uh, you know, fatigue, um, or even, you know, and I think this is maybe more likely the case, um, due to them getting a little uh, lackadaisical or a little conservative up, up to trying to just get to the end of the game instead of trying to score and instead of trying to press their advantage. And in that second period around the seven-minute mark, they give up two goals in the span of a minute to tie it, and then Colorado scored in the third to put it away. But, uh, yeah, as we noted, disappointing to not come out of that with the win, but really exciting the way that they've been playing, the way that they were able to take the lead against Colorado. Hopefully they learned their lesson in terms of keeping their foot on the gas pedal. And that's a lesson I feel like every single team that plays professional sports has to learn at one point or another. Uh, I would I would add to that, in terms of statistics, the Kraken had twelve or not Kraken, the Avalanche had twelve more shots than the Kraken, so the the Avalanche had forty one shots to the Kraken's twenty nine, and that was not the case to start the game. Mm-hmm. If you look at that by period, we had to have had seven to ten more shots than them in the first period, um, and that speaks to the fact that probably speaks to complacency, where they had the shot advantage, they were up two zero. What do you do? Take the foot off the gas, try to play conservative, try to control the puck without putting it in the net, and things can turn on you in a hurry. Exactly, yeah. Uh, the Avalanche, so this this game two that I'm looking at statistically, the Avalanche had 10 more hits, as John and I were talking about this. The Kraken averaged, and this was a stat that was put up on Root Sports, sorry, this was, we were talking about this as it was brought up. I don't, I want to give credit to the proper people. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Root Sports put up the stat that the Kraken averaged 22 hits per game and hit the Avalanche 22 times in the first period of the first game. So it looks like they've kind of slowed down their, uh, their physicality. Maybe, maybe it was those later periods. Um, where they dropped off. Yeah. They were avoiding contact. They were trying to keep control and not, uh, not fly to the puck. Exactly. Yeah. I think the Avalanche just, just played a better game in that second one. They had 10 more blocked shots. Um, and, you know, just just you know, better face-off win percentage. Just kind of generally played a better game. They've been dominating the face-offs. They dominated the face-offs game one. Yes, yeah, that's true. That's it. true. That's an interesting little uh, wrinkle that they have been really winning almost every face-off. Um, but let's talk about some things to look forward to as we as we kind of take a take a broader look, or not things to look forward to, but things to celebrate. Things to celebrate, and as you're saying, you know. Things that have not gone our way, and we still find ourselves here. Yeah. Um, God, Grubauer had a great first game. Monster. 
he was he had 34 of 35 shots saved so he allowed obviously the one goal and that was that was they had 35 shots and he saved 34 that's like a crazy stat that's like a 971 i believe save percentage damn you are better at math than i am um <laughs> yes he was amazing and part of it becomes an eye test thing those were not easy there's a lot of kind of breakaway like takeaways where the the avalanche were coming at him and he just like deflected once and then pounced the second the second shot there were a lot of tight angles where it was nobody between him and the man and you know tight angles moving fast there's still tough shots but he was getting his body in front of the puck they were not missing wide he was getting there um really really impressive yeah very you know obviously maybe there's a little regression in that second game but Really happy with how Grubauer looked. As we said, you know, let him play himself out of this position. You don't want to, like, give up, you know, technically our, our first-string goalkeeper uh, just because. Like, you want to make sure that he's giving it his all, and he's obviously been playing, been doing his uh, doing his thing. And you know what? In that first period, he was doing all the same stuff. A lot of breakaways. A couple possessions, particularly on Colorado power plays, where they were getting the puck moving and finding the open man. And it was the open man and Grubauer and he was saving it. He had a couple awesome saves in that first period. And then, yeah, I just feel like the way that we were playing, we continued to give up those quality shots on goal and you know, everybody's human. Sure. You know, I probably could have done a little better, but, <laughs> but yeah, my knees aren't feeling so hot and my pads are still at the dry cleaner. So we, I, we, we were talking about our knees, like just watching the game. We were like, how are, how are these hockey players knees sustaining this like lateral movement? It feels like they would tear their MCLs every game, <laughs> every single game, you know, to this day, I've never met a 70 year old hockey player. So <laughs> there's a chance their knees just deteriorate very quickly, but best not to think about that. <laughs> But we're loving the gameplay from them. Now, so another thing, goalie play has been very good. Once again, today disappointing, but overall goalie play has been awesome. Really, four goals in two games. Against the the defending champs, yeah. At home, fantastic. Please give me that every time, and thank you. Um, Now, another positive to be drawn from a negative is the fact that in those first two games, our top two goal scorers have scored zero goals. Yeah, no, Beneers and McCann have been uh, not super prevalent. And if you'll notice, we're using, we're trying to use names here. We're we're caught up. We watched one game fully, and uh, we're in it. And we apologize if we're butchering any of these names. <laughs> yeah, if if we're saying it wrong, please let us know. Um, <laughs> if it's Beniers, we are in trouble. <laughs> but that all that is to say, yeah, their first first uh, I guess first line um, offensive group, which is Beneers, McCann, and Oh, what's it? it starts with a W. We're not going to think of it right now. Mr. But, w, as his friends call him. But uh, our first line didn't score. They haven't scored yet. And we've still scored five goals. In that first game, two of the goals came from our second line and another one came from our third. And it's just like, if our best team isn't even having their best games and we're still one and one like, we could do so much better, even. Yes. And then now... <laughs> Just to throw a little bit of ice water on your bonfire. No. <laughs> because, no, no, no. This is for the Kraken's sake. What have we learned? If we get too that's hyped true. on that's the Kraken, true. That's true. Let they me... will lose immediately. We need to get cold. Um, <laughs> and a couple things to note are, as we discussed earlier in this earlier in this year, as a uh, result of the 
fantasy draft of incorporating a new team into the NHL. Fantasy um, draft? <laughs> yeah, essentially. It's basically what it, you're I right. guess a reality draft, <laughs> you would call it. It really happened. It wasn't a fantasy, but expansion draft. Um, we talked about how the Kraken were not necessarily as top-heavy as some other teams, but we do have a greater amount of depth. And I do think we are seeing that play out very directly in the scoring distribution so far. It's not necessarily a huge shock that our second line has scored a majority of our goals. Yeah. Simply because our second line is much closer in quality to our first line than most teams. Now, still, you'd expect the first line to pick it up, but um, I don't think it's as wild as some other really top-heavy teams having their second line dominate the scoring. No, I agree. Um, One other note, and oof, this is tough to say. Seattle has been way better on the road this year. Their road winning percentage is higher than their home winning percentage. As in the Kraken? Correct. <laughs> Not you the... said Seattle, so I was just yeah, wanting to be sure. The, it's the, I wasn't talking about the Avalanche. Um, um, really? Was, do you, do you have that pulled somebody, up or have you seen that? I have seen it. I do not have the statistic offhand, but I'm absolutely certain that their road winning percentage is higher than their home winning percentage. Are they the Warriors? Or no, like the, the opposite of the Warriors? warriors. <laughs> the anti-Warriors. Um, and, you know, hypothetically, you should still be better at home. It's not That could be one of those fluke statistics that you don't necessarily have to take to heart. But this is not the Golden State Warriors winning one in Sacramento and coming home expecting to win every game. The fact that they took one in Colorado was maybe necessary for a team that may have to take two or three games in Colorado if they want to win the series. Yeah. No. They, just simply based on statistics. Obviously, the home crowd has been awesome, but for whatever reason, they just haven't been getting the wins. Yeah. As a, as an additional note, I was reading up on the like kind of ESPN Plus, like look ahead into the, into the NHL playoffs, and they were basically saying like the Kraken don't really have a chance. Like they're hoping to get one home win um, over the series and they were expecting it to go to like five games but we've yeah. already gotten that one win if we get one more home win even even if we don't win which obviously we would love for them to win that first series and keep advancing and you know go as deep as they can but we're coming into the home stretch with what i would call a lead on the best team or the the previous championships in the nhl like i was gonna say i think you always have to give the defending champs the respect they deserve maybe the bruins are the best team but if you're talking about who's number two i think you have to go with the defending champs there's a real chance that we have stolen home ice yeah from the second best team in the nhl exactly that's that's a crazy win even if like even if we don't win any more games, it's still like that feeling of them coming home to Seattle with a with you've, a lead. You've gone too cold, man. You've Sorry, gone too cold. We could <laughs> legitimately be up too well right now. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. There, there's a real chance that we have outplayed the Avalanche and kind of took our foot off the gas there at the end. I have not. We're but we've been better on the road. I'm not saying we're going to completely flop the next three. My problem is it's a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Like we won the first four periods. Let's win the next two so that we don't. Let's win the next four. <laughs> <laughs> um, noted. I get what you're saying. Um, regardless, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited to watch a couple more games and more than a couple more games. You you cynic. You you <laughs> traitor. You sicko. <laughs> What 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 part of Denver is your father from? Um, 
Yeah. Uh, one more note that, that we noticed, or not noticed, but saw um, on the on the broadcast, I guess. We were just reading it because we obviously couldn't hear it because we were at an eatery. Um, <laughs> I love eatery. <laughs> um, our power play kills. Mm-hmm. We... Did amazingly in that first in that first game. I didn't I didn't notice I didn't see the second game. I was uh, at dinner with my family. I'm sorry. It's it's what I needed to do. Some people put family before the podcast, and <laughs> some people really care. That's all I'm gonna say. I don't need you to say this, buddy. <laughs> I was at home alone yesterday, all about to record by myself. <laughs> my family died in a house fire. How dare you? How dare you put that against me? Um. But but statistically, there's some backing up to the fact that our defense is sharp on power plays. Yeah, so they, they finished the season ranked 21st in the NHL. In, Ooh, that's uh, bad. In penalty kill percentage. So they're down a player, and they ranked 21st overall. That, so bottom third of the race. That's, yeah. that's horrible. But listen, John, listen. Tell me. Give me the good news. Since mid-January, Doctor. They've, they've been third in the NHL in power uh, power play kill or penalty kill percentage. So that is to say, they were awful before mid January. They must have been. They were so bad because like, to, to they must finish, have been thirtieth. Yeah, to finish twenty first after being third, third for, for half the at season. At least half the season. Oh God, they must have yeah. been bad. But we're riding a good streak, and you and I were talking about this, and it's like maybe their defense has figured something out, at least in, in terms of penalty kills. Yes. Um. And that's just something to to put your back on and say, hey, we can we can make it through even like the hardest part of these games, yeah. As long as we got the defense to, to back it up. And you know, I you know, you never want to lean too hard into the we took our foot off the gas pedal. It doesn't matter. We'll win the next three handily thing, because um, Colorado won game two. It's one to one. It's a tie series, but. Speaking to our power play defense, our defense in general has been really sharp in this series for the most part. Through the first four periods, we surrendered one goal to the Colorado Avalanche. Um, In the second period of game two, we gave up two goals in the span of a minute. Gross. Pass. Don't want that to happen again. But And then, you know, the rest was, was a dogged game in which they pulled a late goal. If you take that one minute out of play, our defense has been incredibly sharp through two games um and it's been really encouraging our defense and our goalkeeping has been awesome and to be able to lean on that and then build from there our first line needs to put the puck in the net that'd be a fun change of pace um but it's kind of clear where this team can grow in a really positive way and that's really cool yeah, uh, one one last final note on the Kraken. You said that last time. No, but oh. I'm going to say it again because I, I want the it. last word. I want the last word, John. Uh, they they finished the season fourth in uh, goals per game offensively and 21st defensively. So they were allowing the 21st. like They allowed more goals than average, yes. and they were scoring way more goals than average. Um, they were fourth in yeah goals per game. So... Kind of a reversal of fortunes here so far. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying is we were getting a lot out of our defense and not a lot out of our offense, which is not what we would expect coming into this series. Um, so if our defense can just kind of hold steady and our offense can pick up level pace. out to kind yeah. of where we expect them to be, it's a great spot to be at. 
Yeah, and you wonder how much our offensive struggles have to do with the Avalanche. You don't want to take credit away from them. I, I think. know there was a crazy Avalanche on Rainier this weekend. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Good point. Let's uh, let's focus on the local ones. Um, agreed. Uh, obviously, good places to go. It's been a f- been a fun couple games. Yeah. Hey, go Squids. We're looking ahead to it. Go Squids. Game three in Seattle. Buy tickets. Support the team. We're too poor to do it. So <laughs> somebody else has to. This episode is brought to you by ESPN+. Plus. Are you sick and tired of not being able to watch all the great sports broadcast on ESPN without having to purchase cable? Well, do we have news for you. For just 17 bucks a month, you can become a subscriber to ESPN Plus and still not be <laughs> able to watch sports broadcast on ESPN. What is going on? I'm paying ESPN money for this. This doesn't make any sense. This can't be the right ad read. All right. Moving on from the Kraken uh, into a fully different sport that's going to go into October, perhaps? No. Perhaps. Perhaps. Maybe November. (laughs) December? No. (laughs) No, no. With the pitch clock, there's no way it goes to November. (laughs) That's right. The first ever September finish in baseball. (laughs) Thanks. Courtesy of the pitch clock. Um, we came here to talk to you guys about a little Mariners, and let me just say it's been a good couple weeks, because when we left you, the Mariners were in a really confusing spot where we couldn't really tell how their season was going to go, but thankfully, now, they're 8-12, and and all our... 8-11, they didn't lose today. Oh, 8-11, and all our questions have been answered. I was going to say, they're still in a confusing spot, and we have no idea where they're going to (laughs) go. So there's your update. And moving on from the Mariners. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's, uh, you know, how have things been going? They lost the series to the Brewers, correct? They got swept in the series to the Brewers. Uh, that is losing. Yeah. <laughs> um, they they haven't really picked up to the pace that we were expecting them to be at, is what I would say. It like, seemed like they were right about to... They, were, they, they swept the Rockies and then immediately got swept by the Brewers. Obviously, they're going to sweep the Cardinals now. That's how it's going to work. You know, maybe Seattle teams are just really good in Colorado. I don't know. <laughs> let's not rule that out. Um, no, so let's let's talk about a little bit more in detail what's been going on with the Mariners. So, they're 8-11, right? They're fourth in the AL West uh, with the Angels sitting at number two, the Astros sitting at number three, and the Rangers Sitting high up at number one. I know you just shat on them last time we had this podcast. That can't be right. You must be having a stroke. That or the entire country. <laughs> um, that leaves the Oakland Athletics in at fifth place. The worst record in baseball. Yeah. Good Are we shocked? No, because they're going to be the them. Las Vegas Athletics soon. Yeah. They need that number one pick. <laughs> Bringing it to Vegas, baby. They do. I don't know if you saw that news, but they're officially in talks to move to Vegas. Like, they're they're past moving to the the waterfront in Oakland. Like, they're just going. They're going. I think it's fantastic. It'll get the Arizona Coyotes off their ass and get them moving to a decent location. And, uh, yeah. All these teams that are have been waiting to leave their city for the last 15 years, just do it. Learn from the Oakland A's. Just go somewhere place better. Somewhere place better. Somewhere place better. (laughs) I'm talking to you, Milwaukee Bucks. Move to somewhere place better, please. Um, Somewhere place over the rainbow. (laughs) Uh, So, 
the let's talk about who kind of has been leading the charge on the Mariners. Um, well, that's easy. Hitting wise, I think it's pretty obvious. Pitching wise, I think it's pretty obvious. So, do you want to start with hitting or pitching? <laughs> I would like to start with hitting. You and I made a gentleman's agreement <laughs> off air as to whether or not. No, who... no, this was on air. Oh, okay. Thank goodness. I, you know, I didn't the know. people know they're gonna make I didn't sure know you how pay much me they, my money. I didn't know how much they did know. You know? I didn't want to <laughs> spill the beans, but that Julio would not hit thirty-five home runs this season. That was and, your thought, yeah. Correct, and most logical thinking humans everywhere but he is on a torrid pace he's been tearing it up one of the bright spots recently in their hitting and obviously Kalanick has continued to be a machine um so those are the bright spots on hitting the young bats are showing up and they are bringing the power that I was not necessarily sure would be here am I still confident that Julio will fall below 35 very I would double down but I would not want to take this guy's rent money um (laughs) Partly because it's kind of my rent money. <laughs> but uh, would you disagree? I think that's uh, pretty clear. Uh, one thing that I would say is uh, Ty and Gino have been very good. Um, I think their their averages have been better than their like expected slugging. That, or like, you know, their extra base hits that we would expect from, from those two uh, just kind of throughout the season. Like we, Gino's been hitting a lot of singles. I think we talked about that last time. And uh, that hasn't really changed. He's only hit two home runs. He's got a couple doubles. But I think his power might have not not. This is this would be a bold claim to say this right now. But <laughs> I don't think his power is faded. But if he is sacrificing some of his power to get on base, I wouldn't be upset with that. Gino Gino has that ability to get on base and uh, hit for an average that I think we're seeing right now, along with Ty doing kind of what Ty does. Ty, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. I expect much more from him than getting on base, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it would be helpful if he was a little better on defense, but uh, we're not here to pick nits. Hey, don't talk shit about my guy. <laughs> that is your boy. Well, okay. So if those are the bright spots for our hitting, please, please tell me don't. there are some bright spots on on pitching. Tell me there's oh, okay. something. I thought you were going to gonna, I thought you were going to say please tell me about the low spots on hitting and I just don't really want to talk about it. We'll get to it no, later. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. We're not here to talk about that. Our viewers are here for positivity. <laughs> we are here to provide them with the things that they do not get from other sources, like their families and work. Uh, no, so Luis Castillo has been shoving recently. He had a perfect game going into the 7th inning against Colorado over the weekend. Um has Colorado, huh? Hmm, interesting. Shocking. Uh, he's posted a .72 ERA over four starts. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, he's been shoving, like I said. <laughs> I, I thought that word was overused, and it's underused. <laughs> um, Logan Gilbert is averaging uh, over one strikeout per inning. Uh, I think he's at, like, 10.1 or 11.1 or something like that. Per start? Um, per nine innings, so... You know, over a strikeout per inning, which is really good. That's like very, very high average. That's kind of like where Robbie Ray was a couple of years ago, um, before he went missing, before he was kidnapped and replaced by a by a plasticine dummy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Robbie, if you're out there, <laughs> please don't be listening to that. <laughs> Blink twice if you can hear me. Um. But Marco shoved the other day too. He uh, he went six scoreless, which is 
about as much as you can expect from Marco. You can't expect a perfect game going into the sixth. Doesn't but uh, he he gave up two. I believe I believe that was Wednesday, um, and that was purely because he let two on, and then Matt Brash proceeded to give up seven more hits and three runs <laughs> of his own. So that might be something we talk about in the negatives section of the pod. But uh, real quick, before we go any farther, I would just like to know: you're an educated man. Where does the term shoving come from? <laughs> Listen to those crickets. A symphony. <laughs> that is, uh, I assume, something that came from college ball. Let's be honest there. Uh, but I have no idea. You can you can put that in with the uh, with the dictionary, the Webster people. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what they have to say. Noted. Okay, it's a good one. I just <laughs> you lost me. Um, Shoving. Good pitching. Yes. Good pitching. Sorry, sorry to throw you off like that, Mr. 75-year-old. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> what are the kids calling it these days? What's an era? What does that have to do with pitching? Um, no, so we're, we're getting exactly what we were expecting out of Castillo. Better than we were expecting Way from Gilbert. Way better than I was expecting out of Castillo. The guy the guy's going to front runner for Cy Young right now. Are we shocked? No. Not shocked, but certainly impressed. Yeah. No, a little bit impressed. 0. 0.47 is... 0. 0.72. 0. 0.72. But oh. Oh. Yeah. still, still amazing. Whatever. Um, But yeah, like, our pitching has been great. Flexen obviously had a little bit of a blow-up the other day uh, against your, your Cubs, which we will avoid talking much more about. Cubs are good. They're first in the NL uh, yeah, Central. They are. They are. They are bad. Also, is that true? Where's Milwaukee? Milwaukee's 14-5. and five. There's no way the Cubs are better than that. And they must be second. They're like you're just pulling the stats out of your ass, John. No, they're like twelve and seven. Yeah, I thought they're twelve. They're twelve and six. I thought that would have been good enough for first. Sorry, Milwaukee. <laughs> I know because we just gave up three wins to them. I was um, gonna, you know, does it even really count if you're playing the Mariners? I mean, that's like a built-in three, you know. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, it's, yeah. So maybe it's what's going poorly. I would say it would have to be our, our I think, our 7 and 8 spot. Because um, I think Jared sits typically at the 6, and that's kind of the cutoff of good. <laughs> yeah. I think the team risk is really high per game right now. They're, we... It's really low. Like, they're, they're average with runners in scoring position is what you're looking at. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, when I say high, I meant we are stranding a lot of runners. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would say that. I would say... Just the fact that J- JP has scored 11 runs, has been has hit 13 hits. So he's been on base quite a bit. He has 13 walks as well. So basically a 50% success rate when it comes to getting on base and scoring. Um, it's a really impressive walk rate. Yeah, he has 13 walks and 13 strikeouts. He's looked really good. Um, but he also only has three RBIs. Like he has nobody in front of him getting on base. And that's him sitting in the nine hole. He gets on base and Julio or Ty hit him in. But And you know what speaks to that as well, particularly targeting those seven eight slots, is the fact that you just said he has three RBIs, but he has, what'd you say, ten runs or something? Yeah. Like he's getting batted in. Yeah. He is getting on base. Imagine if those two guys could get on base at, in the slightest. Yes. And yeah. Then they could also be because obviously the top of our order is raking, but yeah, the seven eight spot not performing 
your standard. I think that is a great, especially with JP being such a, you know, like Dexter Fowler level, like get on base and nothing more guy. Yeah. That kind of statistical distribution on either side of his hitting really shows where the hole is on offense, you know, and it's a gaping hole at the seven, eight slot. Yeah. I would. So Colton Wong's hitting like Oh six, seven and our DHs are averaging like a 100 batting average, I think. So basically if they can get up to 200, maybe like just get, just get on base a little bit more. And that would, that would be God, that would just, I don't even know how to say it, but that would be, that would increase our just run production so much more. Do you think the city of Anaheim would take the Space Needle for Shohei Otani? <laughs> I think that's a fair trade. I think they would take the Space Needle for David Fletcher. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a good building, okay? It's a little old. It's orange now. It's got to go to Houston. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> that is way too soon. Uh, but I wouldn't give to have Jeremy Pena be our second baseman and JP be our shortstop. That would make things so much easier. It would make things a lot easier. Um, but yeah, some, some notes, things that I, that I thought of that a lot of people are complaining about on Mariner's Twitter and in the Mariner's sphere is a lot of people are talking about sending Tommy LaStella down or DFAing him or uh, Cooper Hummel optioning him down to AAA. Um, listen, this might be, I don't, I don't think this is a hot take if you look at the statistics, but a lot of people aren't complaining and they're even saying, Hey, Tom Murphy should be getting more at bats. Tom Murphy is 2 for 23. He's hitting 087. Yikes. Cooper Hummel is 2 for 23. He's hitting 087. Uh Tommy Lastella is 3 for 16. He's hitting like 120. Why are we saying get rid of Cooper Hummel and Tommy Lastella? Just give people more consistent at bats. AJ Pollock of all of our DH positions or all of our DH players has 27 at bats. He has the most at bats. What what are we doing? Pick a guy and stick with him. Agreed. I also think you know, he's obviously not hitting great. I'm a bit of a Tommy Lastella defender, and, and I understand. He's doing the best out of those group, but he's batting 120. I'm not going to pretend that he's earned his starting spot at DH. But this guy isn't 26 years old. He's a seasoned vet. I'm not sure how much a spell in AAA is going to do. I don't think his confidence is the issue. I think he's just it's not just seeing the ability, ball really yeah. well right now. And that may improve with time, or it may not. But I don't think a spell at AAA <laughs> is going to fix all these problems. Then he's going to be batting two sixty five. No, I yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the other thing is, uh, and this this is a problem with the front office and Jerry Depoto thinking that they have four guys or whatever that they can roll in at DH at any time. Conglomerate. I don't I don't think that's how you should be approaching a lineup because, you know. It's, it's not talked about a lot, but the consistency and continuity, which is the word that I was looking for at the last podcast that I couldn't think of, <laughs> continuity is the thing that like a lot of analytical minds and structures don't think of because having consistency on your roster and in the field or on the court or whatever it is allows you to get in tune with how your team works. If you're, if you're rotating in your DH and subbing in for Jared every time a left-handed pitcher comes up, it's not going to bode well because your guys don't get at bats versus all types of pitch, all types of pitching. Your guys don't feel like you have the confidence in them to produce in awkward situations. And obviously the platoon, the platoon is a thing, but it's just not, 
like it doesn't seem like it's working so we might need to reevaluate how we're approaching the team yeah i feel like the platoon model relies a little more on like power i would agree with that too where you're you're really just trying to get the hot hand in to has the best chance of hitting something out of the park with with some of these guys hummel listella these guys are not hitting for power not at Um, all and in that case, I'm 100% with you. Nothing matters more than consistency. Getting at bats. I think we're sitting on the couch, you know, giving our, our popcorn opinion, but staying warm matters. <laughs> you know, letting that muscle memory kick into gear at your third at bat matters. Yeah, if you're getting switched out every other time, confidence and all that stuff aside it's just not the same yeah, we, we, we've we seen it with Jared We Jared was on a tear and they've left him in against lefties that was the one thing that they were like oh we're going to protect Jared against lefties so that he can continue to build that confidence Yeah. guess what he hit well against lefties and righties over the four game stretch and they left him in if people have that opportunity to hit well AJ Pollock hit, had a two home run game and they immediately Started subbing him out for Tommy Listella because he could he supposedly can't hit a left-handed or a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, maybe give him a chance. Yeah, let him try. He... Be- believe it or not, this guy's been playing baseball since he was seven. He's probably faced a lefty a time. <laughs> um, and I'll just say, you know, as an example, you were pretty good at basketball, so you might not be able to relate to this. But any of our listeners out there who have ever been pulled off a cold bench, sat in a corner and told to hit a three guess what the first one's the hardest to hit (laughs) it's really hard to come in cold yeah and perform your best it helps to get that first as silly as it sounds that first strikeout or two to get a feel for things um and allow to build on that uh on that kind of journey but yeah you know as you said it would make yeah it'd make more sense if there was somebody deep in the dh rotation that was tearing it up right now but this desire to rotate frantically just between, like hoping one guy has yeah, a good game between like, a bunch of dudes struggling pick one give him a month and if he still sucks then cut him and move to the next yeah. guy <laughs> it won't necessarily do a lot for the next guy's confidence but at least he'll know what he's playing for yeah I, that's exactly what i think we're looking for um all that is to say obviously they're all hitting poorly and that can maybe maybe it is time to cut somebody but mm. who's who's that for us to or like what is it our job for us to say who we think should be cut is it should it be cooper it hummel or be. tommy Listella? it should be it'll be i hummel think we too, should think because about he's not a cub. <laughs> he was never a cub so we can cut him um also i do think that's you know it's not like our dh position's batting like 170 like our dh position is bad right now yeah like statistically hovering around 100 like yeah statistically it will improve if there's not like a series of psychotic breaks these guys will bat better than they have been they're professional baseball players so that we will see improvement at that position one way or another okay rant over i'm sorry that was a lot of negative information um mariners we love you we we god i hope the mariners do well against st louis that would be a great series we're doing this because we care yeah you know we're not mad we're just just disappointed disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah hey go ams we we obviously i don't think they really need to make any huge moves jose caballero looks nice in the last couple at bats we're waiting for dylan moore to come back um yeah we're kind of we're kind of in like a little like 
hold on hold on to our britches phase. Um, and it's just the beautiful thing about a one sixty two game series. Yeah. Just hold on, hover around five hundred, figure it out. There's so much time. They were eighteen and twenty nine at like the start of May last year. Like they've that, got a, that's a lot great point. of time. It's a great yeah. point. Uh-huh. All right. Well, when we come back, you want to talk a little basketball? Yeah, let's do it. This episode is brought to you by Rubik's Cubes. Have you ever sat at your desk and wondered what you could be doing with your hands while watching a YouTube video? That's it. Rubik's Cubes. <laughs> <laughs> They're great. Imagine putting the time in being able to solve a Rubik's Cube and just flexing that on whoever walks into your room. All right, John. Do you want to talk about the NBA as a whole, or do you want to talk about Zags in the NBA first? Uh, I le- let's start with an overview and then dive into the Zags. So, NBA playoffs underway. Uh, we are getting to the end of uh, games twos and threes in various series. In the Western Conference, the Sacramento Kings are up 2-0 on the Golden State Warriors. Uh, the Phoenix Suns are up 2-1 on the LA Clippers. The Nugs are up 2-0. Easy 2-0 against the Timberwolves. And the Memphis Grizzlies and Lakers are tied 1-1 in that series. In the East, uh, Philadelphia just pulled ahead 3-0 against the Brooklyn Nets. That's looking like a show. It's because they don't have any zags on their team. That's the problem. <laughs> um, the Bucks are tied 1-1 with the Miami Heat. Celtics are up 2-0. It's not 3-0, right? It's 2-0. It's 2-0 against the Hawks, yeah. Against the Hawks. And lastly, the Cavs tied it up 1-1 against the New York Knicks. So a great series. It's been a fun playoff so far. A couple unexpected things, including the most unexpected series involving one of our Zags. Um, but some competitive basketball and fun basketball so far. There are two, actually, you know, really three Zags in the NBA to highlight during this playoff run that have all been significant first and foremost i guess and you know actually let's do first and least most <laughs> and work our way to foremost deal least most is brandon clark the power forward for the memphis grizzlies who has not played since early march um and you're saying wait what <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> we're highlighting zags that are important and uh they blew game one against the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. They were able to win game two. The Lakers played horribly in game two. Um, but in game one, they blew it against a bad team that was playing okay. Um, largely because they couldn't rebound. Yeah, they, just Brandon, didn't have they were rebounding. missing Brandon Clark in his yeah. role. Steven Adams, they were also missing for sure. But Brandon Clark was so good this year and so aggressive on the boards. And they were really missing him. And I really think that... If Brandon Clark was playing, the Grizzlies would be up 2-0 against the Lakers. And because of that, I think he's worth noting. Second most important zag to note was also involved in that series. And also involved in that Game 1 win in which Anthony Davis and LeBron were both pretty mediocre. His name? Rui Hachimura. If you don't know it, maybe write it down. Yeah, look that up. (laughs) Big in Japan, that one. Um, He was awesome. Scored 30 points for the Lakers. In game one. On, I believe, five of seven shooting from three. Um, God, he looked good from three. He looked nice, hitting some tough shots. Leading scorer on the team, along with, uh, I almost said Caruso. Sorry. Reeves, Austin Reeves. Wrong white Laker, my bad, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Austin Reeves. Um, so, yeah, 
I'm not sure how many games the Lakers are going to win where their leading scorers are Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura, but uh, this was a unique example. Rui was hitting the three well. He was hitting the pull-up mid-range J. He was drawing contact in the post and hitting his free throws. Really, really fantastic game by him. What I would say is he even had a great game too. Um, I think he scored 20 uh, for the Lakers out of their 93 points in game two. Significant. Um, Yeah, he was just kind of, he's kind of like he's averaging 25 points per game at the moment. Obviously, it's only a two game sample size in terms of that number. But still, he brought it both games. That's really fantastic. Exactly. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been fun watching him kind of develop as a tertiary scorer without coming because in his situation on the Wizards he was coming off the bench but was their primary scorer off the bench it's interesting seeing a guy play against higher level talent in a starting lineup in higher leverage moments and actually being more successful because Anthony Davis and LeBron are pulling so much of that pressure away from him um, I, think I think the other he's... thing is their leadership. Like mm. LeBron's leadership has obviously had an impact on Rui, and I think that's been something that a common talking point by the announcers during these games is like, hey, Rui feels way more comfortable than he did in Washington because there's somebody to guide the team. Um, comfortable, but also probably accountable. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Feeling like he can't ma- maybe get away with some of the lapses that we've seen over his career. I love Rui. He's a young basketball player, and I don't mean that in terms of age. I mean, he got started late. Um, and because of that, I do think you can see a lot of lapses in this game. I do think LeBron is probably as good as anybody at saying, hey, no, no, sir, these are not okay. You need to bring it every single time. And yeah, I think he's kind of flourishing, blooming in Los Angeles, which I hate to say. God, I hate the Lakers, but I love Rui. One thing to notice, he's shooting. So if, if that 5-for-7 is correct in that first game, he was 2-for-4 in the second game, he's shooting 7-for-11 from 3 at the moment. Not um, sustainable based on his percentages, but it'd be nice to see him continue to improve from 3. Well, and if you're if you're a Lakers fan, which the four of you that are listening probably aren't, but something to note is... Thank God. <laughs> the Lakers shot 7-for-26 in that game 2 where they lost by 10. If they hit 3 or 4 more 3s... Yeah, it's such a close. It's a closer game. It's, I think that that series is still definitely up in the air. Yeah, that team is not a great three point shooting team. Another thing, referring to Rui, yeah, seven of eleven. It is worth knowing. It's kind of like Tory Craig three point shooting numbers. They're all wide open. So you take him with a grain of salt, but it's bound to be higher than the average player. It's no Steph dribble up and try it, to find an open opening. Exactly. These are not closed out threes. <laughs> These are, I'm leaving this guy alone in the corner threes. And he's nailing them. Which, which is, is fantastic. Yeah, which all fantastic. you can ask for. Number three. Huh, there's another Zag playing in the NBA playoffs. Is it? Is it not? Kelly, Kelly Olenek's not there. <laughs> no, no. Another white Zag. Kevin Pangos is in Greece, I think. No, it must be... The son of Arvidas, uh, DeMontis Sabonis <laughs> uh, of the Sacramento Kings, who are currently up 2-0 on the four-time NBA champion Golden State Warriors. Um, and he's a big part of it. Oh, I, I'm sorry. Tonight happened. They were up 2-1 on the Golden State oh, Warriors. Yeah. Sorry, folks. We're recording this at 11 p.m. And Golden State won game three, um, in which he had 15 rebounds. So still a good game. But... He uh, had an interesting game one where he was not scoring very efficiently, not rebounding at his usual rate. Um, And I think in game one, because he's such an important part of the team, he's a a third-team All-NBA guy, um, 
game one, you could almost say they kind of won despite him, um, even though he was bringing it on defense and always bringing his effort. But game two, he took it to the Warriors offensively. He was punishing the smaller men on mismatches. They had to keep Draymond on him on the pick and roll, or else he was just devouring them inside. Um, and because of that, they weren't able to switch as uh, frequently as they normally do. Because of that, it left De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk open on drives all game. There's a reason that Malik, De'Aaron, and Sabonis were the most efficient scorers by far. And it's because he was punishing the switch on the pick and roll, which opened the game up for those two guards. Yeah, to add to that, he's you've basically got a guy who's scoring 18 to 20 points per game and getting you... 10 to 12 boards easily 18 to 20 rebounds per game (laughs) not quite but it feels that way (laughs) um and he's just a really good role player obviously he had that uh situation with draymond yeah how much is he averaging 18 to 20 leg grabs per game (laughs) i think it's about three or four (laughs) okay my bad my bad but it's it's during the free throws he just grabs people's calves (laughs) (laughs) um so the instant we're referring to is at uh the third quarter mark about of game two where uh he had fallen going for a rebound and he grabbed draymond green's leg while he was trying to run back on defense now draymond is kind of running on top of him so there there is a case to be made that he's just kind of a little upset that there's a guy kind of giving him the, the Allen iverson step over tyron Lou. totally um but so he grabs his leg and draymond responds by jumping as hard as he can on his chest <laughs> Which seemed excessive, and it turns out the league office agrees, and Draymond was suspended for Game 3. Um, it's a bonus. Physical player. You hear, you've hear, you heard it all year. Um, fiercely competitive, willing to use his elbows, willing to grab a jersey a time or two. Well, and so I was, I was kind of just following along with all the media stuff that's been going on for Game 3 and, like, pre-Game 3. Um... And they asked Kevon Looney, like, hey, is Sabonis, like, doing anything down low that's, like, kind of a little dirty? And Kevon's like, no, that's just kind of how it is down low in the NBA. Like, people are grabbing each other's jerseys and pushing each other. Like, that's, that's how it is. It's a physical game of basketball. Yes. And Sabonis isn't, you know, besides the leg grab, which really didn't, like, it was, you know, you're not supposed to grab somebody's leg as they're running, but... But just in game one, Draymond Green was, like, he was laying yeah. on top of Sabonis. <laughs> they looked like two lovers yes. <laughs> the game before. One slightly less willing than the other. Um, and that led to the wide-open Wiggins three that he bricked at the end of the game. That could have been the biggest play of the series with Draymond Green lying over Sabonis and refusing to let him stand. So, to be fair to Sabonis, it's been going both ways. Um and it's and you know the the warriors are not like not ready like not not ready for that like they 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 have the the people nobody and the knows per- better than them and the personnel that can deal with a situation like that with... they they traded four second round picks for Gary Payton they're, yeah. they they are sharpening their rocks <laughs> for the rock fight okay these guys have put batteries in a pillowcase a time or two before jesus <laughs> um yeah, I think Sabonis has been really impressive. Kind of an interesting analogy comparing Draymond to Sabonis. Both really fiery guys that do have a bit of a reputation for maybe a little over-the-top physical play. Both excellent passers um, and could both, I think, safely be described as kind of like the beating heart of their team. 
and you're just replacing Draymond Green's Hall of Fame level defense for Sabonis's Hall of Fame level like post work. Um, his passing is great out of the post. Yeah, yeah. Just, a, just a great post presence. Yeah. And they're both fantastic passers. They share that in common. And both excellent screeners. But Draymond will likely make the NBA Hall of Fame because of his defensive abilities. He's probably the best defensive player of this generation. Yeah. Sorry, Kawhi. You actually have to be play. You have to play to be considered. <laughs> um, and Sabonis is likely the most talented post player in the NBA. He is the Drew Timmy of professional basketball um i'm not you know whether or not he'll make the hall of fame you know that's for for, for another day four sacramento championships would push it in that direction um but i do think there's actually a comparison to be made there with two guys that you wouldn't necessarily put next to one another that might be a great episode of like who of the current you know kind of kind of young zags of the white european centers which one reminds you the most of Draymond green well, and with that, <laughs> we have been recording for 50 minutes, and it is 11 p.m. I've got to edit this and get it out for Friday. We are so, so sleepy. Let us leave. <laughs> I've been keeping John here before, you know, so that he he, he can't abandon me like he did yesterday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but all that is to say, we appreciate you guys listening. We are excited for the Kraken and their upcoming games. Game three in Seattle, baby. Game three and four, we're stoked. Uh, Mariners, they'll pick it up. I'm not super concerned about it. They need to figure out how they want to approach the DH role. Um, and hey, Sabonis, just keep doing what you're doing. Rui, keep keep killing it. I would love for Rui to win finals MVP. And then get traded to the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> um, yeah, we appreciate you. Go Squids. Go Squids, baby. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to follow the podcast on Spotify at Sound Up Seattle. If you found the podcast, you know where we are. Please give us a follow. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Sound Up Seattle. Uh, that's all lowercase, typically all combined into one little one little word. Um, I, Tyler, can be reached anywhere at Tycart50. Um, feel free to DM us or uh, or me on any of those apps. John, he's unreachable. He'll find a time. Just a big deep breath to start the podcast. Hello. On this week's episode, we are going to talk about... <laughs> it's 420, baby. <laughs> <laughs> a little something.